listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. So we've been uh, talking about uh, building, and in particular, building the church that Jesus said he would build and partnering with him. And, and I've, I've really just titled this whole section of time right now. Uh, as being the ones that hell could not overcome. Because what's going to happen with us is because we have a revelation is that we're going to be able to look back in years to come at the end of our lives and we're going to realize that, that hell could not overcome us. And it's, remembered and it's important to remember something that when you're talking about hell, it's, it's not so much a place as it is influence. Because Jesus said that I'll build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, the gates of, of hell are an operation here in this world because Satan is the God of this world system. The Bible tells us that in, in several different places. So when we talk about the gates of hell will not prevail against it, it's talking about Satan's system that he's placed in the world and he's brought so many people captive underneath of it that that system is not going to overtake and overrun the church. But as a matter of fact, we're going to overtake and we're going to overrun it because we are the ones that hell could not overcome. We are overcomers. And I'm not just saying that because that's the name of of our church, but that's the name of our church because that's what God says about us. That's the kind of people we are. That's the, that's the DNA that we have running through our veins. Praise the Lord. And uh, I want to say this one more thing before I get into teaching that God, the Lord spoke to me the other day and he said, I'm looking for people that are original thinkers. That think, that think outside of how everybody else just thinks. The status quo. You know, we have a status quo as far as how we've seen Christendom. <laughs> we have a lot of Christianese and we have a lot of uh, ways of thinking that have been developed through that. But the Lord, you know, the Lord is the greatest pioneer that ever lived. Imagine he created the whole world. And then in verse two of Genesis one, it says, and the earth was without form and void. And so that was literally saying that the world was in chaos because there was, there was nothing brought into order. But by the end of chapter one, we can read of Genesis that the Lord brought everything into order and he placed everything just like he, he wanted it to be. And so God, God really is the original pioneer. He thought of all of that up all on his own, amen? And he's placed in us the same desire to pioneer and to move forward with different ways of thinking than what everybody else is doing. And I don't ever want to be different just for the sake of being different, but I want to be different for the sake of not being stuck in what everybody else is doing, but be stuck in what God says we're supposed to be doing. And I believe that the enemy has stifled the creativity and also the divine order because you find both of those things all the way back in the beginning. God was super creative, but he was also very orderly in how he did everything. Both of those are supposed to be combined together. And when you have order without creativity, you just have dryness and no moving of the spirit. When you have creativity without any order, you have chaos. But God is a God of, of, of creativity and of order, bringing those things together to where we can, we can think and act and move and do things like God wants us to think and to act and move. Amen? But the reason I said all that is because God is really truly is an original thinker and he wants us to be that same thing. And so I wrote that on my board and there because the Lord just, I mean, he just dropped that. I've 
on my board is in my office. I have huge whiteboards covering the wall so I can write, and I, I, it looks like a beautiful mind in there sometimes, but I just write all kinds of things that God shows me. So I wrote that, and then the next day, I see this Facebook post from somebody, and this is what they said. Anyone can attempt to replicate and duplicate, but it takes a forerunner to originate and create. Don't settle for a copy when God called you to be an original. And so I just like it when people are willing to step out of the box and pioneer and do things that are not the norm. And not for the sake of going, look, we're different, but for the sake of saying, God told us to do this, and I know it's outside of the norm, but we're going to do it anyways. And so we've been looking at Nehemiah. And when you think about Nehemiah and you think about Jesus, both of those guys were total outside of the box people. Jesus, of course, you can, you can go and look at his, his story and his life. And he was one of the most hated people because he did things that was outside of the scope of normal religious systems and works that were in his day. And that's why so many people hated Jesus. But yet Jesus told or turned the whole world upside down or right side up because of what he did. That's the kind of person that I want to be. I want to think different than how everybody else is thinking, especially if the way that everybody else is thinking is not producing the results that God says need to happen in, in the world. Because see, I'm one of those kind of people that when I just read something, I take it for face value. And when Jesus said that the works that I do, you will also do these works, which are raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, uh, not leopards, lepers. One day I won't even struggle with that. Uh, casting out demons, seeing entire regions shaken with the gospel. He said that those works that I did, you'll do, and even greater works will you do. So when I look at that and I'm like, all right, Lord, I believe what your word says. See, a lot of people don't really, they don't actually believe the Bible. They read it and they're like, oh, that's good. That's really nice. That, yes, that's, that's good. But for me, when I read it, it gets on the inside of me and it messes me up because I'm like, well, I'm not seeing that. Why am I not seeing that? And then the Lord always comes back and says, you know, you're not thinking like me. If you'll start to think like me, you'll start to do things like me because you can't do something that you haven't thought of first. And you're not going to think of something unless God has breathed that revelation on the inside of you. And so in the idea of building things, he wants us to be reformers. He doesn't want us to think like everybody else thinks. And we've been looking at the story of Nehemiah. We started last week. And man, if you missed last week, it was really, really good. But this week's going to be good too. And I don't have a whole lot of time left, so I'm going to get to it. But uh, the idea about Nehemiah is the whole, you know, the, the city was in ruins the walls were broken down and Nehemiah was one that was willing to step out and say, I'll rebuild the walls of the city. If I can find some people to help me, I'll rebuild everything that got ruined. I'll take God's heart and I'll go and do what God says. He was a reformer. He was one that was an original thinker. He was one that thought outside of the box. And you know what God's looking for? People that are willing to do that. Really two types of people that work together. One is that will say, I'll team up with somebody like, like that. And the other one to say, I'm willing to be that person that will lead other people in doing that. Amen. Yes. And I'm telling you, that's what God's called this church. Yes. He's, never, he's never called us to be status quo. I've never been able, and it's almost been frustrating because else I know other pastors to where it's like, you know, they got these, these sweet lovey-dovey messages and people coming in, they're like, oh, it was just, whoa. And, you know, and their church just explodes and God puts this, these radical things on me. I'm like, God, you want me to say that? Yes, I want you to say that. And so I don't mind being radical if it's right. Amen. It's actually good to be radical 
if you're right in what you're being radical about. I, I see some radicals on TV that I think they, don't, they need to be quiet. You know, they're not doing good stuff. But man, radical people that are, have been infused and been infected with God's nature and God's character and God's heart, man, those are the kind of people that take over the world. Those are the kind of people that change the world. It's the kind of person that Nehemiah was. So I'm going to go back and start talking about, uh, just going to hit briefly on the different types of people in relation to building. And that's where I started. And so I'll just hit on it briefly, and then I'm going to get into the meat of what I want to share today. But there's basically four different people in relation to building. And so we're always classifying people, right? You know, the whole world is this, or this group of people is either this or this. And so this is one way to classify people in relationship to to something that is being built. You have four different kinds of people. Number one is a spectator. Number two is a sandballot, which I'm not going to go give a lot of detail on that, but I'll give you a little bit here in just a second. Uh, a builder uh, and then a Nehemiah. So a spectator, a sandballot, a builder, and a Nehemiah. And a spectator is simply somebody who observes what is being built. And everybody, anybody can be a spectator. That doesn't require anything other than just to open your eyes and just observe what's being built. Uh, a sandballot, and if you look in the book of Nehemiah, which we're not going to go through all those scriptures again, but in Nehemiah, there was this man uh, named Sanballat who was always coming against the work. He was trying to hinder the work that was taking place. And a lot of people don't understand this, but there are people that are full of the devil that are only interested in stopping the work of the Lord. I don't believe that that's most people. I believe it's a very small percentage of people. And as a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write this next to it. I'm going to give you this. Is, all right, this right here is Kentology, okay? I can't, you can't find this in the Bible. This is from my experience. And this isn't necessarily with this church, but the church as a whole, all right? That's really important to understand that. I would say as far as Nehemiah's, we probably have about, I would say about 2%. Uh, let's use easy math, all right, because I'm not really good at math, and it makes me look bad. All right, so 5%, and I would say that spectators, you probably have about 5% of them are spectators, and sand ballots, you probably have, whoops, hang on a second here. Spectators, excuse me. Uh, sand ballots, you have about 5%, and I would say, what is that, 10%? So I would say you have about 60% of people are spectators, so that is 70, and then you probably have about 30% of people that are builders, Anybody see a problem with those numbers? Now, I'm giving you that, again, that's my opinion. That's from what I have seen. I'm not saying that's descriptive of this church, but I'm saying that's what I've seen uh, as a whole, that the majority of people, there's not that many people that are trying to hinder, but there are some. There's not that many people that carry a heart like Nehemiah did, but there are some. There are some people that will partner and build, but there is a tremendous amount of people, the vast majority of people sit and watch and they spectate. They just see, they observe what's going on. And really a spectator is, oh, help me Jesus. A spectator is someone who has a welfare mentality. They are willing to partake of the work of everybody else, but they're not willing to put work in themselves. Mm. Just give me, even if that just cuts you to the core, just give me an amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Who in here wants to be a welfare Christian? Anybody? No. We want to be the kind of people that when God says, I want you to rise up and I want you to help, that we're willing to help. Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. 
Thank you, Jim. I'm just letting that settle for a minute because that was really like strong and some of you are thinking, man, is he talking about me? Uh, if, you've, if the shoe fits, sure. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. So anyways, that's what a spectator observes what is being built. A sand ballot hinders what is being built. A partner or a builder partners with what is being built. And I want to give you three different ways that we can partner with, with what is being built. And I gave different attributes of what a builder is. I'm going to hit those real quick, and then I'm going to give you ways that you can build. A builder sees the need, and I'm not going to go back and give all of the scripture verses. It would take too long. This comes right out of Nehemiah. A builder sees the need, identifies the leader, uh, sets their hand to the work, they also have a mind to work. I've met people that are willing to set their hand to something, if you'll ask them, but they don't have a mind to work. It's like they've got a, a, any, any employees, any employers in here ever had an employee like that? It's like they'll do it, but it's like they're glossed over the whole time they're doing it. Someone who has a mind to work is, let me get it done now. Tell me what's next. And that's the difference. And that's the difference between someone who just will set their hand to something and who has a mind to do it. And, and the fifth attribute of a builder is someone who will stay on guard while staying on task. And this is really important. This comes down to relational things oftentimes when you're building with people and then you start to turn on the people that you're building with. It means that you don't have your guard up that the enemy would come in and try to get you and them to come against each other because you're only busy building. You're not being careful to also keep your guard up. And really, we need to have a sword in one hand and a hammer in the other. That's the kind of people that we have to be. We have to have a sword in one hand, and we have to have a hammer in the other. And it's not to beat the, the person, amen. It's to build, praise God, that you have a sword to cut the enemy out of everything and every situation that he would try to come in and bring disunity or whatever it is in the middle of the situation. Amen. Hallelujah. Let me give you three ways that you can build. So I've given you attributes of what a builder is. So there's a question that comes in, how do we build? You know, when you're looking at the natural things in, in Nehemiah, there's natural ways to build. But how do you build in the kingdom of God? I'm going to give you three ways that you can help to build your church. Number one is prayer. And this might seem like uh, not that significant, but I can promise you it's one of the most significant things you can do. Because if you're not tied to what you're a part of, then you won't last. And if you're not tied to what you're a part of, and, and capturing the heart of what's going on, you'll eventually become disheartened and not want to continue on because any type of ministry, any kind of building, anything that goes on with church and God's people, it always requires work and it takes hanging in there. So when you pray, when you learn to pray for your church and you learn to pray for your leaders and you learn to pray for the people that you're around and for the organization as a whole, it will cause your heart to be tied to that. You ever been in a place to where you, you really were struggling with somebody before? And finally, you came to the end of yourself and said, you know what, I'm just going to do what the word says, and I'm going to bless that person who's cursed me. And you begin to bless that person. And what happens when you were once hardened towards them, all of a sudden you begin to be soft towards them. Prayer is one of the most important parts of people being builders, being true kingdom builders, is because when we stop praying for our brothers and sisters and we only are watching them, that's when we get into suspicion. That's when we get into seeing the negative and seeing the flesh side of people and not seeing them the way that God sees them. Because the Bible says, regard no one according to the flesh. We're not supposed to look at anybody according to their flesh anymore, but, but according to who they are in Christ Jesus. How in the world can you do that? Because every single person in here has got flesh 
that other people don't like. I have flesh that other people don't like. I know that's really hard to imagine, but, you know. So how do you get past having other people having flesh stuff that you have to work with that sometimes you really don't like them because they, they rub you the wrong way? You pray for them. You pray for them. And I've seen this over the years that when people will, all of a sudden, their heart will turn from me. And I, I, can, I can just see it. Their heart will turn from me. I, they're not praying for me. Because if they were really praying for me with the heart of God, they would keep their heart open and willing and tender for God to speak loving, kind words from them towards me as their leader. It's extremely important. If you're going to build, you're going to be a builder, you have to first pray. Let me give you another way that you can help build. And this is going to be a big one here. Tithe, or I'll put slash give. And in a lot of circles, especially people that are grace people, the word tithe sounds like a dirty word. Let me ask you something. Or let me just say this first. I can remember being at a place to where the idea of tithing, which, by the way, tithing means 10%. Sometimes people say, I'm going to tithe $5. Well, do you, do you only make $50? Because that's what a tithe would be. A tithe is 10%. So, I can remember being at a place to where I did not grab this concept of being a part of something and giving into the thing that I was a part of that was, that was feeding me. So I look at it like this, that wherever you're being fed, that's where you need to give. And if you can't start with 10%, then you can say, God, I'm just, I don't have faith for that. Then you can start with $5 or $10 or $20 or something. But in my, in my opinion, and I believe it's scripturally, scripturally sound, to look at it this way, a tithe is really a minimum. You cannot give a penny and God will still love you. You cannot give a penny and you'll still go to heaven. You cannot give a penny and I will still love you, but you're really not a builder. Because a builder is one who is willing to see that there's a need there. Because I'm going to tell you now, we could have $100,000 come into the church by the end of the year, which praise God, let's believe for that. And we would find ways to utilize that to reach people. Maybe not all by the end of the year, but we would find ways to put that money into reaching people, to blessing people. You know, we just, we just updated all of our camera stuff. We don't have too many people, by the way, the ones that are watching online. Thank you for being here. We're glad you're with us. We don't have that many people that watch, but the Lord told us to do it. And I believe that our our, our influence is going to go out of here in a much greater measure. You know, it cost a lot of money to update all of our camera stuff. It wasn't like hundreds. It was thousands of dollars to be able to do it. But the Lord said to do it. He said it's right and you need to do it. And so that takes, that takes money. And, and beyond that, just the idea that when you are faithful in that which is least, he'll make you ruler over much. Yes. A lot of times people are wanting to be in charge of something, but they're not even will, willing to give into the thing that they're wanting to be in charge of or be a part of or whatever, that doesn't even make any sense. It makes no sense whatsoever. Finances are the least area of trusting the Lord. Oh, I'm gonna have to show you that real, real quick here. Let's look here in Luke chapter 16. I mentioned this last week. Are you all with me? Yes. Luke chapter 16. And actually, I'm just gonna... Uh, it's not in Luke chapter 16. I'm just going to quote this really quick for time's sake. But the, the parable of the rich young ruler, which is not there, and I'm drawing a blank as to where it's at. The parable of the rich young ruler, that 
he, he walked away very disheartened because the Lord told him to give everything he had to sell his goods and to feed the poor and all that stuff. And he walked away very disheartened. But in the process of that whole parable, Jesus depicts this point that finances are the least area of trusting the Lord. So this is something that pe- people just have to understand. You have to understand this, that when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithing, those kind of things, it's, it's for some people, it feels like they're going to a really high level, but the Bible actually teaches it's the least area. And I don't mean that to disappoint anybody like, man, I'm really not giving. I'm really not doing much. Well, it's an area that you need to increase in your faith. It's not, it's not really, and I'm not trying to say this to be hard, but it's really not anything I mean, it's important to God, but you know, let me rephrase it so I don't offend. You know, I'll just say it because I just offend sometimes. But anyways, it's really not that great of a level to get to point to where you're tithing. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying it's not honorable. But what I am saying is you haven't reached the height of spiritual faith to get to point to where you give 10%. The people underneath of the law gave... Bible scholars believe anywhere, I've heard from anywhere from like 22 to like 35% of what they had coming in, they gave back out. And then what happens is when we get under, we're under grace. I mean, I've heard people say this for years. Oh, we shouldn't, you know, we don't, we don't have to, we don't have to give because we're not under law. Well, first of all, tithing was established before the law came into existence. That's number one. Second, why would people who are under grace, who have a better covenant, do something lesser than the people that had a lesser covenant? It, it just doesn't even make any sense. And so this is a way that we, we, have to, we have to come to this place and come to this level. And I don't talk about finances that much. And I think probably the reason why is because I used to talk about it more and I had so many people say things like, you're money hungry and you're one of those prosperity preachers and yada, yada, yada. Which by the way, I am a prosperity preacher because I believe God wants us to prosper, but that's another message for another time. <laughs> But anyway, so I've shied away from it over the years because it just, it just, I don't know, it makes people uncomfortable. But we're reformers and we think bigger and we think greater than that. And I'm going to tell you now, if you're not at a point to where you're, at, in my opinion, to where you're at least tithing, you're missing something that God has for you. I have yet to meet a tither that struggles. Amen. That's saying something. I've yet to meet a, any person. Now, I'm not saying they wouldn't have a struggle or something come up. But I've yet to meet a person who is a consistent tither that says, I'm going to take 10% of the increase that comes to me and I'm going to give it into the work of the Lord. I've yet to meet one person that lives a a life to where they're struggling financially. I've yet to see it. I was just going to mention this about, about giving, tithing, and just go on, but I thought, I need to camp here for a second and then I'll have to get to more things next week because I'm just about out of time. But this is something that's really, really important and, and really near and dear to the heart of God. Amen. We want to go uh, deeper and higher, I should say, concerning the, the things of the Spirit and, and ministering to people and seeing the world changed. And, you know, we can have somebody preach that and it's like, amen, yeah. All right, you ready to give 10%? The Lord could nudge your heart. I want you to give 10%. Oh, I just can't do that. Wait, you're thinking you're going to believe God for this up here when you can't believe God for right here. Something is really out of whack. I'm not saying any of these things to condemn anybody, but what I am saying is that our eyes need to be opened up to the reality that there are principles in the word of God that when you apply them, it will position you to receive God's best. I would never, it wouldn't matter, it wouldn't matter to me what was going on in my life. I would never, this is me personally, I would never drop below a 10% mark in my life. 
I've had it above that fluctuate, you know, some. But Liz and I, at this point, we basically, and this is not wrong for me to say this. Anytime I say this, man, sometimes I feel like I got to backpedal just to make a point because of where people are at in their thinking. It is not wrong for me to talk about me giving. You can find scripture verses. Everyone knew what the widow gave in the Bible. Everyone knew what the rich people gave in the Bible. They talked about it. It's wrong to go and brag about it. But for teaching's sake, it's fine to mention it. Liz and I give away approximately 20% of our income, 20% of the money that comes to us. 10% of it automatically goes back to the church. And then we give about another 10% that goes above and beyond that. And our hearts actually is that we want to be giving 90% and live off of 10. That's really what we're after in our life. And we're not there yet, but we're working. Working, we're working that way, amen? And, and why? Because we're builders. We're ones that are like, God, we're not here to just build our own kingdom and to build, you know, get big fancy cars and nice houses, and I'm not against that kind of stuff, but that's not why we are here. We're here to build the kingdom of God. And so I just want to encourage you. I, wanna, I don't say this often, but I want to challenge you. If you're not a tither, become a tither. Start doing it. And the reason I started tithing was because somebody challenged me years ago. It was my dad. And I was working for him and he was writing my paychecks and he knew what I was, so he knew what I was getting paid. And so we, Liz and I were going to churches before we were married. And I said, I decided I'm going to start giving $10 a week. And he said, really? I was like, yeah. He said, that's all you're going to give? I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean? He's like, you know, I think I was making like $500 a week or something like that at that point. And and uh, he's like, well, you know, I mean, that's not even close to a tithe. Can't you trust the Lord with that? I was like, I don't know. I'll, t- I'll do $20 a week, you know? And so, but it, it, uh, I, I had a wrong mentality at the point of, at that time about it, but it stretched me. It caused me to go, you know what? Maybe I need to start believing God for more and for bigger. You know what? And we, we do this and we have done this for years and we have watched the Lord meet our needs over and over and over and over and over and over, et cetera, et cetera, even before we were preachers. Some people just, oh, well, you're a preacher, so people just want to give. People do give to us because we bless people, and sometimes they'll give us money or whatever, and that's awesome. But we were having that happen before we ever took the pulpit. We were having that happen before we ever started a church. Because when you team up with God and you do things God's way, you'll find how God will bring blessing to you when you get in line with him. Religion would say that, you know, I mean, even heard people say, like, if you don't tithe, then, then God will take it out in doctor bills. You know, like, he'll put you in the hospital and take money from you that way. You know, I've heard stupid things like that. That is not how it works. God's not angry at you if you don't tithe. He's not angry at you if you don't give. But it blesses you. It positions you to receive what the Lord would have for you. It's a position of stewardship. And so if you want to move up in building, uh, not just... Um, in financial terms, but in all kinds of building in the kingdom of God, why would he trust you with the hearts of people if he can't trust you with his money? Man, it's quiet in here. Some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad this time is almost over because I don't like this money business. Some people don't think you should talk about money in the church. You cannot find one topic that's talked about more in the New Testament than finances. I've probably done a disservice by not talking about it more. Look, you can, get, you can give, you can tithe, you can not give, you can not tithe. And really giving is anything, I would say, above a tithe is really what would be considered like an offering. You can do that or not, and God will still love you. But you are missing out on blessing in your life, and you're missing out on a part of partnering with the Lord in his kingdom. 
partnership, and this is very scriptural if you go, and I'm not going to take time to look at it, but in, in Philippians, um, Paul talks about, in the very first chapter, he says that, that they partnered with him in the gospel. And if you continue reading in Philippians, you'll see that the way that they partnered with him was through their finances, that when no other church gave to him, that the Philippian church gave to Paul. And then he goes on to say at the end, he said that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We've been quoting that scripture verse for years, but never even realized that it was in context of people who were givers. I would question whether all of your needs will really get met if you're not in a position to partner with what God says, with, with building his kingdom. Just scripturally, we take that verse and it says, my God shall supply all of your needs. And, and I've met people who don't give a dime and God still meets their needs. So that's probably not a right thing to say. But I can say, you'll have, you'll have your needs met better and it, things will work out better for you because you've decided that you're gonna partner with the Lord concerning finances. And see, when you get this mentality of stewardship, you don't own any of it anyways. I, I literally got to the point to where when you read the scripture in Malachi about bringing your tithes and your offerings into the storehouse, how long will you, will you rob me in this, says the Lord? See, I used to hear that taught, and it was like, and then you heard all the curse go along with it. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law. There's no curse that's going to come upon us if we give or we don't give. But are we not still robbing God if he's asked us to do something with his money and we refuse to do it anyways? God will still love you if you rob from him, but it's not a very smart thing to do. Man, it's quiet in here. I don't know if I'm not preaching good or if I'm preaching so good that you're just like, I'm taking this in. But don't let your heart be offended over this. This, has been, this is a benefit to you. If you can come to a point to where you can trust the Lord with that, he will be able to trust you with the true riches, which are, are the souls of people, are the lives of people. This is another one of those things when it comes to promoting, promoting people that I, I, I didn't do this in times past, but I no longer would promote anybody into a leadership over people unless they are first tithers. Amen. You say, well, I, I, that just doesn't. Well, why would I entrust people with the souls of other people if God can't even trust them with the finances? Everybody say it's going to be all right. Because I'm a builder. And I'll let God stretch me in this. Amen. And you say, well, where am I supposed to, to give? One thing you don't do is you don't eat at McDonald's and pay at Burger King. If you're being fed here, then give here. If you're being fed somewhere else and this isn't your home church or whatever, you need to give to your home church. I've had family members say, that they were going somewhere else that they said, we want to tithe into you. And I told them, no. You need to give where you're being fed locally there, support your local church. I believe that with everything, even to the point to where we've turned down money because I believe on principle that it was the right thing to do. Because see, they brought their tithes and their offerings into the storehouse, which back then it, it, wasn't, it wasn't green currency. It was grain and different things that they would bring in, they would store it up and then they would divvy it out as, as people had need. But they wouldn't be in one area and take it to another storehouse 100 miles away. They would put it in where they were being fed. So if you're being fed, 
partnering with the kingdom of God is giving into the place that you're being fed. Amen. It's really simple, really basic, but this is part of how, of how we partner with the Lord. Not only do we pray, but we come to a place to where we give or tithe. And if you're just like, man, I'm just, I'm just not there. I just don't know how to do it. Look, the Lord knows your heart. If you want to do it, that's the first step. If you'll make a desire to do it, to want to do it, God will see to it that finances come to you to where you can give. I'm, proof is in the pudding with, with me on that. I've seen it happen for years. It doesn't say that he gives seed to people that might want to become sowers. It says that he gives seed to sowers. So, being a sower is first a condition in the heart and a decision in your mind. It's not whether you have anything to give or not. Because I've met people that have gidgads of money who won't hardly give anything. But I've met people that maybe didn't make as much money and they, were, they just had a heart to give. And you could see how God would supernaturally provide finances for them to go through their hands because God knew what they were going to do with it. And they were blessed in the process. And it's more fun to do things. You, you took the words right out of my mouth, PJ. Not PJ, I heard that in a movie one time. Anyways, whatever, anyways. DC. Everybody just give me a great big smile offering. I didn't plan to teach on this, but I'm just sharing what I really believe that the Lord wants, wants me to share. It, it really is more fun to do things God's way and not to do things our way. When you learn, you come to a place where you can let loose of what is in your hand that you're clenching onto, you'll find more freedom than you ever thought before. And I've told people this many times before. They go, well, you're just saying that to get money into the church. Well, partially, yes, because the church needs money. But if you think I'm doing it for wrong, selfish motivations, even though I don't think this is the best thing to do, find a good minister and start giving into them, and you'll see how God will bless you. And then you can come and turn around and say, Pastor Ken, it works. We're going to start giving into the church. There's no selfish motivation behind it. It's right. It's good for us to come to a place to do that. It's wrong for me not to challenge you in it. I've been a bad pastor for a couple of years because I don't hardly ever mention it. Yeah. Don't agree with that. I'm, I'm a good pastor. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> he tricked me. Can you all receive this? I see a few faces that you're going, I think I needed to hear this. And a few that maybe are saying, I don't really want to hear this. And a few more that are saying, I like it. Would you shut up because it's time to go home now? So there's three things I was going to tell you. I'll mention just the last one really quickly about how to partner prayer, tithing, giving. And then the last one is just serving. Just finding a place to plug in and to simply serve with your, with your hands and with your feet or in any capacity that you can. We should never be at a point to where we're so high that we can't come down and, and serve. You know, Ron and I, every time that there's a, there's a project that goes on around here physically, we will find ourselves doing physical things. And we've been doing that. We, we get people to help. Many of you guys have helped do things, but we've built the video booth back there. We spent, I don't know, we put 40 hours into that thing. And we've got other, a lot of other things that we have to do. But we just developed in us a heart to serve. And really, the greater you are, the more you serve. But you don't become great, if you want to call us great. I don't mean it like that. But if... You don't just arrive to a level and then, oh, I'm going to start serving. No, you start serving and you watch how God increases you in your life. 
Amen. And for not even for the purpose of trying to get promoted or to try to increase. It's just to be a part of what God's doing. It's awesome to be a part of something that God has going on that's bigger than you. Amen. Praise God. Is this too simple and too plain? I feel like this is super practical, but we needed to hear it. Amen. Would you stand? Let me bless you real quick and we'll be done. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that this, um, this sits on our hearts right. And, God, they hear the, my heart in it and they hear your heart in it. And Lord, we are givers and we're people that are really, we live to give. We don't live to take. We live to give. We are not welfare Christians in Jesus' name. We're not ones that just come in and just suck off of everybody else. Not that if we're in a time of need, we can't come and get our needs met because that's what the body's for. That's what the church is for, to love on each other and help meet each other's needs. But I thank you that the, the mind that was in Christ is in us also to give and to give even to the end of our days. God, I just bless these people. I thank you that they would, uh, Lord, just open their hearts up to receive this and continue walking in this in a greater level in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you. Love you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.